Yo, what's up, everybody? It's December 3rd. Uh, welcome back to the Daily Leo. So a lot is happening in the crypto space as usual. Uh, so Bitcoin is, again, kind of flirting with these uh, all-time highs, uh, looking to basically push past 20,000. Obviously, there's a lot of resistance to that, um, but there's also plenty of support at this level. So one of the things that everyone was looking at earlier this week was the monthly candle close. Uh, so we saw that candle uh, close, and that was the you know the highest monthly candle uh, for Bitcoin ever. So obviously that made a lot of headlines. A lot of people were keeping an eye on that. Um, and it closed by a significant margin. The last highest candle close was uh, right around 14,000, just a little bit under. Uh, and this one was, you know, over 19,000. So obviously a big uh, moment for Bitcoin uh, in terms of macro price. Uh, and then we had the weekly candle, obviously, also making highs. So a lot of great things were happening for Bitcoin in terms of price and charting. Uh, that a lot of people were keeping an eye on. And we obviously see Ethereum doing well today. So generally, you know, obviously we're we're in this bull market, things are doing well. Uh, people are keeping an eye on all of the things happening in the space. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. I know a lot of people are expecting December to be a strong month, uh, similar to how November was, uh, and leading into the end of 2020. So let's see if Bitcoin can break through 20K. Let's see if Ethereum maybe goes back to you know, it's all time highs of, you know, 1,000, 1,400. So moving on to this first article. So this is from Coindesk. And uh, what I liked about it was this uh, chart about the number of active entities in Bitcoin. So this basically uh, is tracking the active wallets uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, obviously we're at all time highs. We've seen uh, what I like to see here is that, you know, back in 2017, uh, we're, we're at similar levels today as 2017, but the key difference is that uh, this growth was really fast in 2017. So it just kind of exploded. Uh, and then you move on to, you know, we had the bear market here. Uh, and then slowly we see, you know, a, a general positive trend here. Uh, and then over the course of, you know, more than a year, we see this nice trend upwards to where we are today. Uh, so I generally think this is uh, obviously a lot more bullish. Uh, in terms of the active wallets in Bitcoin. And then, you know, continuing that conversation, that narrative about how the institutions are adopting Bitcoin, it's really, you know, become the forefront of the entire financial space. We've seen a lot of different, you know, key players coming into Bitcoin and talking about it uh, at the least. So uh, recently the CEO of BlackRock was, uh, was interviewed and they asked him about Bitcoin. And he sounded almost bullish. You know, he wasn't like outright saying, you know, Bitcoin is the next big thing. Uh, you know, he wasn't making market sentiments like, you know, Michael Saylor or Paul Tudor Jones. But he was definitely, you know, he seemed open to the idea that Bitcoin was going to become, you know, a global asset. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see all of these different players coming into Bitcoin now and the amount of money that these fund managers are, are you know, moving and, and have under management is insane. So... Uh, when you think about, you know, the sizing of these players compared to the Bitcoin, uh, you know, market cap in the entire crypto industry, you know, we're so tiny and these investors have so much money. So the, you know, the logical conclusion is that if they're all kind of FOMOing into the crypto space, we're going to see market cap, you know, skyrocket uh, from all of this, these assets being moved in. So BlackRock is obviously the world's largest asset manager, and they manage over $7 trillion uh, in various funds and uh, across different financial instruments. So obviously, lots of money here, uh, similar to these other major players who've recently talked about Bitcoin. I think this is just, you know, the beginning of a lot of different institutions and, and major financial heads talking about 
uh, Bitcoin and crypto continuously. So uh, this is definitely, I think most of us in the space agree that this is evolving into a global market asset. And these guys are catching on and they're finally looking at Bitcoin, uh, I think, with a serious lens, especially with people like PayPal getting into the space. So Dan Schulman, uh, CEO of PayPal, he's been talking about Bitcoin lately on a few different interviews. Uh, he recently was at the Web Summit event. Uh, I think that was yesterday. And he was talking about Bitcoin and how, you know, it's changing, you know, basically changing the whole landscape. He, he's obviously a little bit less Bitcoin, a little bit more, you know, crypto in general. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on stable coins from them. Uh, but basically saying that, you know, coronavirus had accelerated a lot of things that were happening, uh, you know, in the entire global economy, uh, the digitization of everything. So we see a lot less people using cash. We see a lot more people using, you know, credit cards, debit cards, that kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously that's a good thing for crypto. So PayPal being one of the largest digital uh, wallet providers uh, obviously should connect to digital currencies like Bitcoin and stable coins and all that. Um, so, you know, I think this is generally, you know, an obvious move for them uh, and seeing them get so heavy into the space uh, and talking about it all the time. I definitely think this is a big contributor to the overall, you know, bull market that we're in right now. Um, and I think, you know, their their general premise is definitely good that, you know, you create a better financial system by making it more open, uh, by, you know, basically bringing in currencies that have more uh, potential for, you know, a more uh, fair and uh, distributed financial ecosystem. So I think there's a lot here uh, that's good in general. Obviously, there's some issues with the way that PayPal handles, you know, crypto uh, in terms of buying and selling that people have with it. Uh, but, you know, I think more options are de uh, generally better. So the more options to buy, sell, hold crypto, the better. And, you know, PayPal is just one more option in the list. So obviously, we're going to see more options popping up uh, as we've seen over the last you know, decade as crypto has kind of evolved. Um, and, you know, kind of along similar lines, BlockFi just announced their new Bitcoin rewards credit card. Uh, so I actually use BlockFi for their interest accounts uh, with Bitcoin. You earn a 6% APY. Uh, so obviously you're not earning anything crazy, especially compared to what you can do with DeFi. Uh, but it's definitely interesting to have a kind of, you know, institutional bank where you can just deposit Bitcoin and not worry about it too much and earn, you know, a low APY. Uh, kind of like a savings account, but obviously with a, a much higher APY than what you'd get in a savings account. So uh, this Bitcoin credit card is actually something that they've talked about for the past year, uh, and I've been excited for it. So I already signed up for the wait list uh, to get this rewards credit card. And the way it works is that basically, you know, like any other credit card, you use it at various merchants or stores and you, uh, you know, you're paying with credit. But then you can pay off that credit with Bitcoin and also you get one and a half percent back. Uh, and instead of cash back, you get Bitcoin back. So I think that's, you know, pretty cool. I think it's great for us, you know, us people who would rather have Bitcoin instead of cash because, you know, say you get that one and a half percent back. I think a lot of us would just convert that into Bitcoin anyways. So, you know, you just get it direct into Bitcoin. Obviously not not a groundbreaking thing. It's not a Bitcoin debit card where you spend it. Uh, directly, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And I think it again gives us more options for using our crypto. So this next piece of news is hot off the press. S&P Dow Jones is launching uh, indices to track cryptocurrencies. Uh, so in 2021, that's a plan. Uh, and obviously, you know, again, this just all 
it seems like the whole narrative right now is that institutions are coming in and doing different things in the space. You know, they're taking it more seriously. They're realizing that, you know, if we don't do this, our competitors are going to do it. Uh, so the S&P uh, DJI index uh, would definitely be bullish for crypto. Obviously, I think, you know, this is just another set of more, you know, traditional financial structures kind of coming into the crypto space, you know, at adding to the ability for institutions to come in and really look at crypto and Bitcoin as something that is worth at least taking a look at, if not, you know, diving headfirst into. Um, so, you know, the more traditional financial uh, infrastructure that we get, the better in terms of getting, you know, wider adoption, especially from institutions. So uh, I generally think this is pretty bullish. I think most people would agree uh, that having these types of indices are good for the crypto space. And then last thing to talk about is this article by uh, by Dallas. I really liked it. Um, he talks about the basics of Ethereum 2.0. So uh, in case you missed it on December 1st, Ethereum 2.0 launched uh, and that was phase zero. Uh, which basically means that the uh, new chain was set up and launched. Um, it's called the Beacon Chain, and you know, obviously, there's three total phases. But uh, it, it was funny because I saw some articles posted that you know, Ethereum 2.0 launched, so nothing happened. But um, actually, a lot of things happened. It's just not that you know the network itself hasn't moved over. So I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about ETH2, um, and the way I explained it is that it's kind of like you had a store owner and they owned, you know, a, a brick and mortar shop. And then, you know, they had a lot of issues with that shop. So they wanted to build a new shop. Um, so they they started building a new shop and then, you know, basically they put in, you know, the infrastructure for that new shop and, you know, it's being built actively. Uh, but they're not able to, you know, move their business from the original shop to the new shop yet. So now there's basically two different shops. Uh, and the first one is where all the business is being done. And the second one is where the infrastructure is still being laid uh, so that business can eventually move from the old shop to the new shop. So that's basically how I explained it to someone who's not active in the crypto space. Um, but Dolls did a really great job of, you know, explaining this in a non-techie way uh, of how, you know, ETH2 works and, you know, what's basically coming in terms of, you know, scalability and all the, you know, benefits of ETH2. Uh, as these different phases are rolled out. So basically the end goal of ETH2 is that the transaction speeds and fees will be, you know, drastically better uh, for the users. So right now, uh, he put it in here, if you look at the current numbers, 30 transactions per second is what ETH can handle. You know, this is the proof of work chain. Uh, and with proof of stake, when the full ETH2 uh, chain is implemented, uh, it's expected to handle more than 100,000 transactions per second. So Obviously, that's you know a drastic increase. Uh, if you look at the fees today, being anywhere from fifty cents to five dollars, depending on the time of day when you're using Ethereum. Obviously, at thirty transactions per second, going to a hundred thousand transactions per second, uh, this is going to have a, a really dramatic impact on the ETH blockchain. Uh, what can be built there, uh, etc. So, obviously, you know the the running joke in crypto is that it just takes two more years for for ETH two to happen. Uh, it's been worked on for a long time, but, uh, you know, I guess some sometime around the next two years, the full transition will happen. So we'll go from the old shop to the new shop. Um, I hope it happens, you know, obviously as soon as possible, being someone who's building stuff on Ethereum. Uh, I think most people are in that same camp. You know, the majority of the crypto industry is actually built on Ethereum. Uh, so obviously we're going to see, you know, a lot of things roll out. I think there's some competition now for Ethereum. So maybe you know, kind of pushing along the development faster 
Uh, so competition is good. I'm all about, you know, hopefully other blockchains uh, pop up and try to compete with Ethereum uh, so that we can see Ethereum 2 developed even faster. Uh, so uh, give this a read. I think it's really good, especially, you know, if you're not too familiar with what ETH2 is bringing uh, and, you know, basically the potential of what it what it can do for the whole crypto space, you know, for DeFi, uh, for various tokens, uh, for, you know, really everything that's built on on uh, on the crypto industry, it's all going to be impacted, you know, if and when ETH2 is deployed. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for watching. I'll catch you guys next time.